1,000 Sundays. Wow. That's about a lot. Yeah, started in 96, but this is the 20th fall season. We're getting ready for the 20th Christmas, and it's just a lot of weekends to worship and to gather with people and to meet people literally their own countries all over the world because of our military presence here in Montgomery. Man, it's been exciting. Well, this morning I want to continue our series on King David. I am David. We're in part three. You can go back and catch up if you want to on the web and go to our website and they're all there for you. So this morning we've been talk- we talked about David's calling. Then we talked about David's trust. And today I want to talk about David's humility. You know, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're going to learn pretty quick that Jesus is in this humility thing. It's the very nature of his life and of a servant. In 1 Chronicles chapter 17, which is not our main text, but when you talk about David, you go to Chronicles and Samuel in the Psalms, you look at verse 16 and 17. I want you to hear this. It says, And then King David went in and sat before the Lord, and he said, Who am I, O Lord, and what is my family that you have brought me this far? And as if that were not enough in your sight, O God, you have spoken about the future of the house of your servant. You've looked on me as though I were the most exalted of men, O Lord God. You read Scripture, and sometimes when you read Scripture, you get to read prayers. You overhear the prayers of saints, of believers. You overhear the prayers of David many times. And listening to him, and when you read through the life of David, through the Scriptures, always see there's a central characteristic. It's humility. He is a mighty king. He is a shepherd boy. He is a warrior, but he's a humble warrior. David demonstrates humility all through the scriptures, as I've read. It's it's the depth of his character in his life that reflects his God, because he is deeply, passionately in love with his God. God raises David up to be king over all of Israel. Now, David has to wait a long time for it to all come into fullness, about 17 and a half years. But David humbles himself before God, but he also humbles himself before an earthly figure. His name is King Saul. King Saul is not big on David because he's jealous of him. And the the life of David is a, a service to the king, but it's a service of leading people. When you study the life of David, he is leading troops into battle. He is leading and reigning and ruling over the Israel kingdom you know jesus has a lot to say about king david and he comes from that lineage but when i thought about this weekend i thought about how great is our god i thought what a great character in scripture if you do a character study how great is our god is the thing that david's saying he realized how great what god was he didn't miss out on that and it was because of what god had done for david side margin what has god done for you Have you stopped today and paused and gave thanks to God for working in your life? This morning in my study at home, as I'm in the habit of doing, I get on my knees and I pray and I read scripture in the mornings. And this morning was a very unusual morning. Not super unusual, but I woke up and as soon as I woke up, it hit me 1,000 Sundays. Get up, get up, it's time to go. It was raining. I rode back over and went to sleep. No, I didn't. No, I I was just contemplating as I have all week, a thousand Sundays for his glory. A thousand Sundays. 
You know, I thought about the church and I thought about, had it been a football game, people would have put on all their gear and all their crazy shenanigans and they would have headed out to the ball stadium and we would have filled stadiums all across the country to go to a ball game. But I've already heard many people say today, Pastor, I came, but I didn't want to. Oh, boy, that encourages your pastor, can I just tell you? Or many didn't even show up today. So I'm, I'm watching you on video. Go repent now in Jesus' name. No, I'm not here to throw out guilt. I mean, that's crazy, but what's the point here? I want you to look at the very top. David is associated with the Ark of the Covenant. I'm intrigued with the covenant, the Ark of the Covenant. And there have been movies and different things made and taken off on it. But what's the point of the covenant? What's the point of the ark? It's the presence of God is a priority. Write it in your notes. The presence of God is a priority in the life of the people of Israel. Wait. Today, Montgomery, Alabama, the world, 2015. The priority of the presence of God should be our top priority. And the church said, they know about it. God dwelt there in tabernacle, in tent. They would move and his presence would go with them. Then there's the Ark of the Covenant. And it's so fascinating. In Psalm 127.1, Solomon expresses, unless the Lord builds a house, they, live, they labor in vain, those who build it. He knew that God had to be a part of building the temple. Even King David, the great king, that Jesus comes out of that same line. He doesn't get to build the temple. His son Solomon does. And yet God was deeply in love with this warrior. I like what Isaiah 57, 15, it talks about how God doesn't limit himself. Listen, thus says the high and exalted one who lives forever and whose name is holy. I dwell on high in a holy place and also with the contrite and lowly of spirit in order to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. Isaiah 66, 2, to this one I will look, to him who is humble, who is contrite in spirit, and who trembles at my word. I love these passages. They're, they're so rich because God's presence is at the center, and God wants us to tremble before him this morning. And God wants us to, one translation says, the person that esteems the Lord, and he is broken before him, that is where God dwells. If you're broken this morning, you're in a great place with the Lord. If you are puffed up, arrogant, prideful, boastful, I got news for you. The Lord's going to deal with you. And it might be severe. It might not be. I don't know. But things are going to come. And lowliness and humility is the way of Jesus trembling about God. The intention of obeying here, him, David cherishes the, literally, the presence of God. I think he learned it when he was out there in the field tending the sheep. And it was him and the Lord against the animals or against the bear and the lion or whatever. But he would tend those sheep and he would magnify the Lord and he would play his harp and he would sing to the Lord and he would worship him. David even prays a great prayer of humility in the scripture. I want you to listen to it. Oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great too marvelous for me, but I have calmed and quieted my soul like a child quieted at his mother's breast, like a child that is quieted is my soul. Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord. Man, David is so quick to do that. 
that he is a decisive military commander. There's, there's no doubt. He is a shrewd military strategist. No, no doubt. He is a beloved king. He was loved. He is a wise decision maker. He is. But he is a humble king. Matter of fact, we're going to see a case here in a minute about his humility. And, because, you know, anybody that has to wait 17 and a half years to come into the office fully that God had promised him, that's, that's, a, that's a patient person. That's a humble person. He had ruled in part of the kingdom, and God gave him eventually the, the entire nation. He gave him all of Israel, the land, the kingdom to rule. And it was awesome. And yet David, he would go through fights, and there would be bloodshed, and he saw lots of battles and he saw soldiers that would be victorious and he saw soldiers that lost their lives and he would submit to god's guidance and the distinguishing trait over and over when i read through samuel and the scriptures is david was humble he sometimes he got it wrong like we do but he found a place of god searching his heart confessing his sin to the lord and when god sees a person that is broken before him he always returns to us. He, he responds to our heart. He responds to our faith. And, and that's what I see in the life of David. It, it's really an awesome thing. And as you look here, we're going to look at 2 Samuel today. Turn over in your scriptures to 2 Samuel chapter 6 would be the main text here. But here earlier, when you go back to 1 Samuel, as we've been walking through portions of it, a lot of soldiers died. The, uh, the Philistines are coming against them. The Ark of the Covenant is so real in, in this place of, of God's presence where God says, and I will make a sanctuary. I will dwell there in the midst of the people. God's so faithful. Read Exodus 25, and 8 to 22, and you see these verses. And you see that you just pause, and you see the goodness of God, and that an infinite God, uh, guys, I don't get it. It, it. It's still amazing to me. I read about the Ark. I've studied about the Ark for years. But, but God decides to come and to fill a box. I've got a little portable replica that I bought in the Holy Land, and it's kind of a cool deal with the seraphims and the poles, and they're carrying it on their shoulders as they were instructed. And inside the box was literally, that's, that was known to be the presence of God. Well, you know, this morning, God comes to fill our little box, our hearts. And he comes to dwell, and in the center of man should be the presence of the Lord. It is if you know Christ. God says he dwells among his people and that he is not bound by space. He's not bound by constraints. But in the Old Testament here in the ark, he limited himself. He, he chose to limit himself. The incarnation of Jesus, we'll talk about in a few weeks. Jesus, God decides to work in this way through Christ, and Christ limits himself to be human. Just an amazing story. But I like what the scripture says in Psalm 113, 4 through 6, if you want to write it down. The Lord is high above all the nations. His glory is above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, who is seated on high, who looks far down on the heavens and the earth. But he is above all. Man, God's above everything this morning. I mean, he's at the top of the list. He's the priority. Whether we make him the priority, he is the priority. He created priorities He's jealous if he's not the priority of your life and mine. He says, I'm a jealous God. I share my glory with no one. No one. Can you turn to the person next to you and say, no one. Not even you. Just turn to him and tell him that. No one. Not even you. I know that person next to you went, well, gee, thanks, man. I was already having a rough day. No. 
God just didn't share his glory. I mean, it's worth to elevate his worth. Philippians 2.8, just write it down. We, we talk about this passage, but it's just a great passage. It goes, he humbled himself by being obedient even to the point of death, even death of a cross. That, that, that whole cross thing, that whole giving your life up thing, that whole thing, deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow him, that's gospel. And Jesus says, hey, but I'm going to demonstrate. I'm going to give you all an example to follow. I'm going to do this for you all. And I'm going to humble myself on this cross. And, and King David, pre-Christ, he, he's a humble servant. He's a humble king. He follows. He's, he sets the stage for us. I mean, in, in, here in, in the presence of God, you, you know, David, you know what? When, when you read in Scripture, in Samuel, David, you see David's wired for worship. He just wants to put his worship on. You've heard that song, Okay, Love, over the last few years. I just put my worship on. Oh, David, you know, he really wrote that song, I think. He was wired to glorify Jehovah. He just wanted to get in his presence. You know, he wanted to bring the ark into the capital city of Jerusalem. He wanted to be a part of a huge celebration that would celebrate the goodness and the greatness of God. It's just who he was. Look at 1 Samuel, though, chapter 4, verse 10. If you flip over a few pages. When the ark arrived, Hophini and Phinehas, the army greeted them with a great shout which made the Philistine army afraid, fearful. They knew a devastating power of the God of Israel. And it says that in that day, 30,000 footmen of Israel were slaughtered along with Hophini and Phinehas. The ark was also captured. The ark was taken in by pagan people. The, the ark, God allowed it. He certainly had the power, but there were certain ways that we had to act because God's building a story. He's trying to tell us what's going on here. And in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 4, look there, in verse, chapter 4, verse 18, this is interesting. So the ark is captured, verse 18. When he mentioned the ark of God, Eli fell backward off his chair by the side of the gate. His neck was broken. He died, for he was an old man and heavy. He had led Israel 40 years. I don't want that to be my legacy. He led well, or he led for 40 years, but he fell back and he was heavy. That's what the Bible, did y'all not find humor there? He just fell, man. He, he had done it wrong. He's, he's, he's getting punished here. I'm like, oh, okay. And then move down to verse 21, or 20. And she was dying. The women attending her said, don't despair. You've given birth to a son. But she did not respond or pay any attention. She named the boy Ichabod, saying, the glory has departed from Israel. Nobody names their kids Ichabod in their right mind. You don't go, I go to Ichabod Community Church. It means the glory of God is gone, nullified, departed. You, you, if somebody says Ichabod, it is not good. They're not blessing you. And God's presence had, had been tarnished, had come against it. And here's this, when I read this and I study about it, it's just, it's just this whole thing of departing. And the Lord chose to remove his glory from this place, from Israel, from those people. And then I, I went to New Testament. I said, oh, well, I want to contrast Ichabod's birth. So listen to this. I, I love it. The gospel says in Galatians 4, 4, when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son born of a woman. In Luke 2, 6, the birth of Jesus was perfect in timing with God's eternal plan. The days were fulfilled that Mary should be delivered, that she would give a child. And then it says, and the glory, listen, let's go to Christmas. We're not quite there, but let's go there in just a minute. We'll go there and then we'll leave, okay? And, and the Bible says, and the angels and the glory of God, and it says, and the glory did what? Come on, what did it do? 
It shone around them. It broadcast. It was, it was expressed. It was an awesome scene. There's no Ichabod moment when the, when the Savior comes. When Christ comes to your life and mine, the glory of Christ comes. It, it fills. And then we just kind of go here. We'll get to 2 Samuel. In chapter 5, I've always been amazed about this story there. They're, they took it from Ebenezer to Ashdod, and they carried the ark into Dagod's temple. The Dagon is a pagan god that they worshipped. It was this massive statue, and people would worship, and they felt safe, and, and, and they wanted to put it up against the presence of God, against the Ark of the Covenant. And, and, and you read about it. It's, just, it's kind of funny. Look, look in verse 4. But the following, they took Dagon, they put him back in his place, verse 4. But the following morning when they rose, there was Dagon falling on his face on the ground before the Ark of the Lord, his hands his head and his hands had been broken off, and they were lying on the threshold. Only his body remained. Now, Dagon is powerful, little p, pagan god, before the presence of God. And, and then they, they go in and they, they, they prop him up, and then he falls over, and then he gets shattered. And it just says that all things fall pale. All things befall before God. God doesn't share his glory. And, you know, I, I look at this, I'm like, Lord, and then you, you move on down here, the, the, the ark goes into different places, and when he goes there, man, the people, they're in fear, and if they handle it wrong, and tumors, and wolves, and uh, plagues, and stuff break out, man, it's just nasty, and they're like, man, don't leave, the, don't leave the ark here, take it down to this place, and no, take it down to this land, and they're like, no, 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 don't bring it, we're, we're not worthy, <laughs> they're starting to get it here. Don't touch the ark, it's an amazing thing, look, look here, fill it in with me. In 2 Samuel 6, David displeases the Lord. I, I did say he was a humble guy, and he was great, but he wasn't perfect. And noble desire was on David's heart because you, you have to read this whole account. I don't have time to cover it all. But David desires to go back in, and he wants to bring the ark there into Jerusalem. And he, he wants to send it there. But the problem is he consults the political leaders of the day. He doesn't inquire of the Lord. He doesn't see what God wants to do and how God wants to do it. And in, in the process, David just displeases. His motive was not bad. It was to unify the nation under his rule. That's not bad. But he ignored God's way. God had told him as, as a covenant people, they, they were to put the, the covenant on poles and to put it on their shoulders and to carry it. And you had to, you, you read the Old Testament, it's full of how God is descriptive in, in the tabernacle and here in the ark and, and you don't touch it and you don't do wrong. And, and then you see in scripture where they violated it. And you know, they're out with the cart and they're carrying the ark of the covenant and, and, it, and it tilts and he reaches up and he grabs it. <laughs> Not good. You don't touch lightly the things of God. He dies on the spot. It's, just, it's a horrible story, but he, David, it, it, as we look here, let's, let's look there with me in 2 Samuel chapter 6. So you see David becomes king over Israel. Before that, he defeats. And here in ver chapter 6, the ark is brought into Jerusalem. In verse 5, David and the whole house of Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord. They had songs and harps and guitars and drums no it didn't say that and lyres and tambourines and sistrums and cymbals and when they came to the threshing floor in verse 8 but verse 7 the lord's anger burned against Uza because of his irreverent act therefore god struck him down and he died there beside the ark of god aren't you glad the story didn't end there I mean, you know, you're reading Acts, and they lied to the Holy Spirit. They drug them dead out of the service. Here, they tried to just help God. <laughs> we don't, God doesn't need our help. And they die. Move with me. In verse 8, then David, here's one way he displeased. 
He was angry because of the Lord's wrath had been broken out against Uzziah. And to this day, that place is called Perez Uzzah. David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, how can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? He was not willing to take the ark of the Lord to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom. I just love all these biblical names. You know, kind of like I'm going down to Obed-Edom and I'm going to this place. I mean, who creates this stuff? Okay. And, and now, verse 12, now King David was told, the Lord has blessed his household of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the ark of God. It goes down there for three months because they're, they're like scared of it. They're, at least they're having respect and honor for it. It's just fascinating. I, I'm just trying to whet your appetite. But see, in one section here in Scripture, they compromise how they think they're going to do things. And when you compromise the Word of God, you always get in trouble. Write that in your outline today. When you compromise God's Word, when you don't listen fully to the commands of the Lord, you will get burned. All right, let's just do this one. Uh, I think this will work. I've had to deal with this a lot the last 20 years. People living together. Our world calls it shacking up. Do you know what I'm talking about? Anybody understand that? Okay. When you violate God's holy command to not defile the marriage bed and to have marriage covenant and you just live with somebody, you're going against God's word and you're going to suffer the consequences. And the church of the living Christ said, and the church of Jesus said, I don't want you to go, well, pastor, I kind of like it. Well, sin is fun. I'll give you that, but Jesus says, follow my ways, be pure. Look, let's look at the second one. David displays a zeal, verses 11 through 19. You, you see here, it, the zeal of him comes out. And David's anger here, it begins to change. There's some side verses that I want you to read, Psalm 24, Psalm 105. You see this preparation of David's heart to just love God with great passion. And he gets over his angeriness. And, and then I see that, he, he worships, and, and joyful worship is always, look, look here in verse 13. The, the, verse 13, I got to thinking, I got all these Bible translations, and I'm reading out of one of my NIVs, and then I read out of another one, and, and the same words aren't there, and then I go and I read every other translation, and I'm like, oh, oh that's right, they, they changed it. But, but listen to this. In verse 13, when those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and fatted calf. I know you're going. So? No, this is a big deal. He, the, the Bible is it, really interesting here. He, he has searched God's heart. He wants to do God's life. He wants, to, he wants to reorder his life. But guys, here, here, I want you to think. The, the Bible, in the translation, it says, he took six steps. Now, other times, they've mishandled the Ark of the Covenant. They touch it. They do things wrong. Tumors, death, not good. Here, he's trying to do it God's way, and he takes six steps. One. And he paused. Why do you think he paused? I think he's thinking, am I fixing to die? Have I, have I dealt with this in an unworthy manner? I love this principle. Six steps and he paused and it said he made a sacrifice and he worshiped the Lord sacrificially. Now, I know that seems a little odd now. You're going, Pastor, come on. We live in 2015. I can just see the teenagers this afternoon with Blake going, Blake, you got a bull? Man, we're going to take six steps and we're going to light him up. 
Now, that would be pretty cool. I, I got to admit, that, that would be pretty awesome. The girls are like, ah, gross, blood, and all this. And the guys would be like, our church is cool. I'm like, Blake's got a war paint and everybody's doing it. I mean, it'd be uh, incredible. But you know what? We don't sacrifice anymore. The Bible says once and for all, Jesus shed his blood for remission, for forgiveness of sins. And we don't have to sacrifice. And I say, praise be to God. But here's what's cool. He said he took six steps and he stopped and he worshiped. I'm just thinking, six steps in worship. There's a principle there. When you're going, and then you just need to stop. Like maybe every six minutes, every six hours. Uh, you ever thought about this? Every six days, you stop. Hello? This is preaching. I'm preaching to you now. Every six days, you're, oh, la, 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 whatever that means. And I'm doing my thing. And after six days, you stop. You recalibrate and you go, the Lord is good. He is worthy of praise and I will worship him. And it's called worship in the church of God. Amen. Some of you are like, man, I get it. I know I'm finally getting it too. I've been studying this for about two weeks and it's, it's starting to click. I'm a little slow sometimes. That's okay. A sacrifice. And you know what happens when you worship? Your faith increases. Your courage grows. But when you don't worship with passion, your faith diminishes. You don't have any spiritual courage or boldness. And I'm saying, God, six steps. I remember who's in charge. I pray for a humble heart. I pay more attention. I realize that, Lord, you're the great value of my life. Now let's move to the next one here. David displeases. He displays his zeal. David disciplines his wife. Now, women, don't get mad at me. Don't get mad at me. I'm just reading text. I, I did not create this, okay? But look at this. I, I, I've been doing a lot of study on this, and I just thought it was interesting. Look there in uh, verse 16. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michael, daughter of Saul, watched from a window, and when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart, not a happy camper you can write in your Bible. But you know what? I got nothing thinking about. Michael says he was not dignified as the king should be. We opened the song, if you were here early this morning, with David Crowder, more dignified than this. But here's the whole principle. I want you to realize something. David did not choose Michael to be his wife. King Saul, his daughter was Michael. He gave his daughter to David because he defeated Goliath. So he did not pick her. Then he went on to pick many other babes in the kingdom. So she had a little problem anyway. I mean, you know, she's a little bit jealous, like, you know, he picked them. My daddy gave, you know, him to me. So she's thinking, this is not good. But there's a greater principle. She's not a believer. She doesn't worship the same God that David worships. And she's jealous. See, she wanted to be recognized in the kingdom, and she didn't want her husband putting on a little linen thing and out there dancing in the street about half naked or whatever. She's like, this is not good. David associates with common people, but I am the wife of the king. See, it's a fascinating story when you read it. She's just, she's got her little problem, and, and uh, but, you know, it's kind of tough. But David just goes, you know what? I worship the Lord. I celebrate who he is. I celebrate his glory. I'm, I'm a man of humility. So David disciplines his wife because she's, she's, she's not who she needs to be. And, and he's angry. I mean, David's out there in the, his Fruit of the Loom t-shirt. Can you just write that in your Bible? 
that's what this linen stuff is. It's like just going out there in your fruit of the loom. I know it kind of seems kind of weird. But her words revealed her heart of how she felt about her husband. And I'm thinking, my words reveal my heart, and so do yours. What I say to others, what I say out loud, it reveals the condition of my heart. And you just, you just read through this section, and you go all the way down there in verse 22. I will become even more undignified than this, and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. And Michael, daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her de- death. In other words, David just kind of cast her aside and said, okay, no children. And she suffers, and you, know, you, don't, you don't read about, nobody names her daughter Michael, do they? You ever notice that? I mean, he's just like, she's not your friend. I mean, she's like, in that day, you didn't have children. It was a big deal. But I got me thinking as I've been studying this. Worship will never make you miserable, but worship will give you joy. And when we worship Christ fully with our whole heart, we get joy. And we're coming into the season of great joy called Christmas. And I'm just hoping over the next weeks, you're going to start inviting people to worship with us because that's what Christmas is really about. But I don't want to get there this morning. This goodness of God, David yearns to be humble, even though he's opposed by Saul for so long, he stays at humility place. And then I read a verse in James 3.13. Write down James 3.13. I want you to hear this. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by his deeds, done in humility that comes from wisdom. It's Old and New Testament, God loves humility. Matter of fact, it's attractive. God wants you and I to put on the wardrobe this morning of humility. I know yesterday, I'm an, I'm an Auburn Troy fan, and I like to put on my attire, I go to my closet, and I pick out which one will I wear. But you know, every day, God says, but Keith, I got a greater uniform than your colors. And I, I know some of you this morning, you got up and you wore your red and white with, proud, with pride, and you're going to be wearing it. You're going to sleep in it. You're going to work in it. You're going to wear it for the, God help us. You're going to wear it forever, okay? And that's awesome. I'm just a little jealous, but I'll get over it. Okay, that's my problem. The thing is, God wants us to put on humility because humility is beautiful to the Lord. So here he is. The, the, let me tell you the other thing I know about it. David had a friend, and the Bible says his name was Jonathan. And he loved Jonathan. And Jonathan was going to be heir to the, to the king. But yet he recognized the anointing, the authority on the life of King David. And he humbled himself before his friend, and he loved him. He was... David was probably 15 younger, years younger than Jonathan. And yet, the Bible says that Jonathan risked his very life to protect David. I even think that plays into the humility of David. David saw his mad father, Saul, King Saul, but he saw Jonathan was tender and loving and humble. And I think it's part of what we see when we read Scripture about the life of King David, how he just walks in this. And then I want you to just write in here, David lives for the audience of one. He just lives for the audience of God. The same thing you and I should be doing. God, I live for your audience. And move to the box with me. How to handle disappointments of your life. Submit to God's will. God, I want your will above my own. God, your will is sufficient. I'm going to live there. I'm going to accept your word. I'm going um, I'm, I'm, to build according to what you say. Number two, he didn't only submit to God's will. He listened to God's word. He had ears to hear God. And today, in this dispensation of grace, God gives us ears to hear the shepherd. 
And I'm just wondering, what has the shepherd told you lately? Has he told you something you've been willing to do or you resist it, hard-hearted, humble yourself? And then third, I love this, he just gave himself, we've been talking about it all morning, he gave himself to worship. David just goes, I worship God. He's above all. And it's a beautiful principle that God says, that's what I want you to do, church. I just want you to bring honor to me. I want, I want you to just celebrate my goodness, my fullness. And humility is bold. It's, it takes initiative. Humility is just the, the presence of the Lord. In Matthew 1.1, 1, 1, because, you know, David doesn't get to build a temple. His son does. But listen to Matthew 1.1, 1, 1, New Testament. We just left Old Testament. This is a record of the ancestors of Jesus, the Messiah, a descendant of David. And Abraham. And he tells him, he says, David, I'm going to build you a kingdom that will be eternal. I'm going to build you a kingdom that will last forever. Because you know what? Disappointments are his appointments. Write it down. Disappointments are his appointments. When you have some disappointments, have you ever stopped to think, maybe the Lord is behind this. Maybe there's a reason for this great disappointment in my life that it's a divine appointment for his glory, that there's something greater that God wants to do. And when we have to do that, we have to re it requires humility. We go, God, I humble myself before you. Teach me in this situation, Father. I want to be after you. 2 Samuel 7, 18. Who am I, sovereign Lord? What is my family that you have brought me this far? Man, he was just faithful to God. He, he, he reminded himself of how good the sovereign God had been. And he worshipped him, and he, he gave him honor, and he gave him blessing. And, and I was thinking about this morning, how to close. I want you to turn to Psalm 33 with me. Psalm 33. And as I was reading sections of this, King David, I just thought, man, this was a good word for us, to worship the Lord in humility. Psalm 33, 2. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make music to him on the 10-string lyre. Now, I know you're going, I don't think I've seen a harp on the stage in the first 20 years. And you probably won't in the next 20, okay? I mean, I'm, I'm not saying they're not cool. We just, I guess electric harp would be pretty cool. But anyway, but let's just say uh, we're playing electric harp, okay? Move down to verse 8. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him. Mm, I love that. Verse 11, but the plans of the Lord stand firm forever, the purposes of his heart throughout all generations. Verse 11, from heaven the Lord looks down and he sees all mankind, and from his dwelling place he watches all who live on earth, he who forms the hearts of all who considers everything they do. No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. Verse 18, but the eyes of the Lord, they're on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love. That's where we want to run today, to the unfailing love of Jesus. His eyes are on you. Those that will trust and revere his name, he says, I am with you. Those that are humble of heart. Are you going through some things? Maybe you're broken today. Count it all joy, this scripture would tell you and me. Are you in a place that you're maybe really on top of it and pride is swept in? Repent this morning and say, Lord, help me to give you the ultimate praise. But God, you're faithful. And I know I keep saying this every weekend, but I believe it. 
You're a good, good father. You're very good. 20 years, the Lord's been good to me. Has he been good to you? Has the Lord been good to you? Then praise him with a good heart. Humble yourself. And the Bible says as we humble ourselves, he will lift us up in due time. Only to be lifted up that we might lift him even higher. And that's where I find myself this morning with you, friends, on a journey called life. Can we give praise to the one of Israel, the Lord Jesus Christ? You know what David does? He pointed ahead to a king and to a kingdom. And it would be the kingdom of Jesus. And that's why my personal belief is when we come into the kingdom of God one day and shall behold him face to face, it is going to be a glorious, phenomenal day. But I, I just think I'm going to look over the shoulder of King Jesus and there's going to be King David. Faithful. Humble. Bowing. At the feet of Jesus. Every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Have you bowed the heart? Do it now. Let's pray. Lord, you are good. This has been a great day of your presence. God, my heart swells up on this ugly-looking day on the outside, but in my heart, it rejoices in the Lord. For you sing over us, and we have sang to you. Blessed be the name of the Lord. How great is our God. And I will stand for you. Sounds like the song list today. Lord, you're worthy. Lord, there could be ones today that have never given their hearts to Christ. They've never surrendered. Where they humble themselves right now and call out to Jesus. Lord Jesus, save me this morning. Have mercy on my soul. Change my life. Give me a new direction. Order my life around you, King Jesus. Cleanse me by your blood. Cover me this morning and make me fit for heaven. I give you my heart. I'll worship you. I'll receive you now as Savior and Lord. With heads bowed, would you slide your hands to the heavens today if you just prayed that prayer with your pastor today? Would you do that? Would you raise your hand high? Did anybody pray a prayer of surrender this morning? Yeah. Jesus, you're good. We bless you. Thanks for the journey. Lead us, King Jesus. Amen.